0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's Deputy Editor, Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Oh, hey, Keith. How's it going? Great. Great. I would ask you about your weekend, but that's what I'm going to do in the actual meat of the show. Ooh, just just wait. Just, just you wait. Just you wait, because we're, we're going to tell you in, like, a hot second. <laughs> um, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats, and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got news about Carrie Underwood, Maroon 5 and Cardi B, Justin Timberlake, Sam Smith, Sean Mendez, Katie's Wild Weekend at the iHeartRadio Music Festival in Vegas, and much more. Oh, that's what I did this weekend. That's what you did this weekend. <laughs> I'm letting you know that you went to Vegas. Yes, that that's weekend.
1: correct. And also, this
0: week on the show, we
1: have an interview with singer-songwriter Emily Warren. The hitmaker behind the Chainsmokers' Don't Let Me Down and Side Effects and Dua Lipa's New Rules is releasing her debut solo album next week, so stick around for our chat with her. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard,
0: visit billboard.com podcasts. Let's do some chart chat. Chat, 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 mm-hmm. chart chat. First up. Carrie Underwood finally brings some country music back to number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart as the superstars new album, Cry Pretty, bows atop the list. The set, which is the first country album to hit number one since April, uh, starts with 266,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending September 20th, according to Nielsen Music. Now that's the biggest week for any album by a woman in 2018 and the largest week for any country album since 2015. That last country album to post a bigger week, that was Luke Bryan's Kill the Lights, which bowed with 345,000 units earned on the August 29th, 2015 dated list. Yes, uh, Katie has a question.
1: Didn't Jason Aldean's album hit number one?
0: That was back in April. That was April? That was April. Damn. That was why do I think th- that that so- album's been out for like a month? I think Katie was about to full on be like, "Um, I think you got something wrong. Oh, that is April. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. It's, Keith knows what he's talking it's, about. It's sometimes. Let's, it, you, <laughs> I, you easily could have pointed out an error. Um, even cooler than all those things I just said, Carrie is now the first woman to have four country albums, hit number one on the Billboard 200. Previously, she was tied with Faith Hill, Linda Ronstadt, and Taylor Swift, who Have all had three country sets top the Billboard 200?
1: Should I just continue questioning you and be like, wait a second, Taylor Swift has more than
0: three number one albums, right? That's true, <laughs> she does. Um, she's had five, okay, um, on the Billboard 200, but two out of those five, Reputation and 1989, were pop, pop Taylor. Albums. And she specifically called them pop albums, mm-hmm. and they weren't country, and they didn't chart on our top country albums chart. That's the way I figured this out, because, like, someone obviously, like, you know, Linda Ronstadt has had, you know, a lot of success on, like, country and pop. And right. it's like, well, if it qualified for the country chart, that's what we would count. Yes. Um, like, Olivia Newton-John had, like, two number one albums on the country chart, I think. Mm. One or two. Back when she was still, like, country artist in the 70s. Wild. Yeah, before she got all, like, Xanadude on us.
1: Xanadude. Xanadude.
0: No. <laughs> nope. Not that. She got Xanadid. <laughs> Xana Xanadid. not uh, um, Next up, before we move on um, to the big news on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, I wanted to share how I was able to hop on the phone with last week's Billboard 200 chart topper, Paul McCartney.
1: Uh, yeah, Keith had a phone call with Paul McCartney. A Beatle. A Beatle. A Beatle.
0: I talked to a Beatle. I talked to
1: Sir Paul McCartney. And he did not try to do that accent when he was on the phone with him.
0: No, I did not. Um, We actually, like, we, I'm using the Royal, we, I actually, when we announced that Paul was was number one with um, Egypt Station, his new album, which was his first number one album on the Billboard 200 in 36 years. Obviously, it's a big deal. I reached out to his publicist to say, hey, maybe he want to get on the phone and talk to us? You know, sort of, we could do a story, like, you know, get his view of... Just a pie in the sky, you know I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, you fully know that they're going to just <laughs> say no. And I kind of spelled it out that way in the email. And then they wrote back saying, well never know, let's run it he's up the flagpole. between pole. tour
1: dates, why not?
0: And so a couple days go by, and it didn't seem like it was going to happen, then all of a sudden, on Wednesday, they're like, well, he can call you today, but we don't know what time, because <laughs> it's you're just running on Paul time, like, Paul's going to just call you from his cell phone, I We're guess. We're all living on Paul time, really. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, on Wednesday, uh, the publicist calls, gives me a very short warning, and says he's going to call you in a couple of minutes, and then I flew into action he was literally running
1: around the office
0: yes because i mean i mean i i mean obviously i already had my questions ready i'd already listened to the album i i'm not a a rube here correct but still you have like five minutes to get ready like that's Mm. that's the warning that you Mm. have and um i won't i won't bore you with the whole long conversation we talked for about 10 minutes um a little over 10 minutes you can read basically the entire transcription of our chat um on billboard.com yes. just search for Paul McCartney reacts. Go to, to Paul one.
1: McCartney's Twitter because he retweeted it. He did. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't
0: see that? No.
1: Oh man, he retweeted he did. Billboard's tweet. Um. Yeah. I'll I'll pull it up right Katie now. That Atkinson actually wrote. <laughs> yes. That's and amazing. Th-
0: for the article slash interview that you did. Wow. So while she looks that up, um, I'll just say that the just the beginning of the interview, uh. I my cell phone rings, and it's clearly a British number. I'm like, oh, my God. He's calling me from his cell phone. And I pick up, and I say, oh, Billboard, this is Keith. And he says, Keith, this is Paul. You are expecting my call? And I said, why, yes. Yes, I was. <laughs> and, he says, and he basically said, you know, I don't have a lot of time to talk. I'm sort of on my way out, but we can, we can chat for a little bit. And I said, great. I'll only keep you on the phone for a couple hours. No worries. <laughs> and he says, ah, cheeky. And then we had a nice little conversation.
1: Well, uh, on September 20th, Paul did a thumbs-up emoji, Oh, retweeted, or quote-tweeted, I should say, the billboard tweet about him reacting to Egypt Station going to number one.
0: Look at that. Yep. That's awesome. Indeed. I I would have figured you definitely knew that. Oh, no. I I was, I was, I was, I didn't know that. Well, now Keith will retweet it, so go to Keith's account to look for that. Yeah. Th- thanks, Paul. <laughs> thanks, Team McCartney. Right. Right. Um, All right. Well, lastly, big news in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 this week. uh, Maroon 5's Girls Like You featuring Cardi B bumps Drake's In My Feelings out of the number one slot, giving Maroon 5 their fourth number one and Cardi B's third. And all uh, three of Cardi's number ones have come in less than a year. Wow, Bodak Yellow, I like it, and now girls like you. It's almost
1: like the one-year anniversary of Bodak Yellow, like going it, to number one. Like it was October.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously the song came out a few weeks before mm-hmm. October, so I think this is what a year. Come, yeah, what geez. a year. She's like already a, an A-list superstar That's, in less than it's a year. So ridiculous. Uh, girls like you continues to be the most popular song on the radio. Um, as the song is still number one on our all-format radio songs chart. And radio was key to the tunes ascent to number one on the overall Billboard Hot 100 chart, which ranks the most popular songs of the week based on all format radio play, digital song sales, and streams. As for In My Feelings, it falls to number two after nine weeks at number one. Hey, Katie. Yes? Can you name Maroon 5's other three number ones on the Billboard Hot 100?
1: I think I have one for sure. Um, Moves Like Jagger. That's correct. Featuring Christina Aguilera.
0: Yeah. Th- in fact, that was their... No, that was not their... That was their second number one hit.
1: Ooh, okay. That gives me a good time frame then. Um, They've had a lot of hits. This Love? Hits.
0: No, that oh. was number five. Okay. Back in 2004.
1: Was there something from that uh, Songs About Jane album, that first album, or no? No. Nope. So whatever was before Moves Like Jagger was... Hmm. I'll
0: give you a hint. It was the first single from an album. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, let me just tell you. Yeah, tell me that one. Makes me wonder. Oh, I like it that It was the song. first single from their second album.
1: Okay, so then the other one is is the most recent before
0: Girls Like You. And it was 2012. Hmm. So it was a long it was a fairly long time ago. I need a, another hint. Do you have a hint? It kept size Gangnam style from number
1: 1. Ha. That gives you the time frame. I'm not sure. One more night. Oh, see they have they have so many hit songs. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, my mind was just, like, reeling through all of them and did not even come close to one more night. They've had 29 chart
0: hits, 14 of which have hit the top 10. Yeah,
1: and that's, like, yeah, yeah, almost three dozen, like, yeah, that's insane.
0: Yeah. Well, um, there's also other news in the top 10, which we don't have enough time to talk about. And I'm sure Gary and Trevor will probably be talking about it. In we should Friday at least podcast. mention that Five Seconds of Summer got their first top was, 10, right? I was going to mention these oh, okay, things fine. in <laughs> passing and say, please go to Billboard.com. Five Sauces, Five Seconds of Summer, they get their first top 10 on the Hot 100 this week as Youngblood hits number 10. And Eminem's uh, Killshot debuts in the top 10 as well at number 3. Crazy. Uh, uh, Make sure to uh, visit billboard.com slash chart dash beat,
1: I believe. After being the Drake Show for so long, a lot of exciting moves this week.
0: A lot of um, chart moves. Chart moves, so to speak. Moves like Jagger moves. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Also, um, what we haven't said yet is that after a record 34 weeks of rap songs at number one Hmm. on the Hot 100, finally a non-rap track. Is tops uh, girls like you? Yes, despite the fact Cardi B has a rap bridge, it is still majority like not, pop rock song. It's, it's, a, it's a pop song with, yeah. with a dash of rap thrown in. But to us, we classify this as a pop song, yeah. Um, it is the first non rap song to be number one on the Hot 100 since way back in January uh, when Camila Cabello's Havana spent one week at number one on the January 27th dated chart. Now, to of course if you want to get really you know technical havana had a guest rap on it from young thug girls like you has a guest rap on it so i think the last song that didn't have any rap on it might have been ed sheeran's perfect that's what i was gonna say which was a december and january number one Mm -hmm. so it's, it's um it's just you know rap's world right now indeed kind of living in it um one more fun fact yes Sorry, it's just a lot of chart stuff. (laughs) Katie is looking at me like, yes. (laughs) More. Uh, Cardi B extends her record as the female rapper with the most number ones on the Hot 100. And she already had that record when she had two uh, leaders. So a whole lot of chart stuff happening this week on the Billboard 200 and Hot 100. Make sure to visit Billboard.com for all your fabulous chart needs.
1: And if you happen to be on Billboard.com this past weekend, you would know that we were all over the 2018 iHeartRadio Music Festival Which happened in Las Vegas over Friday and Saturday night. Katie got to go
0: this year. I didn't go. Yeah, no Keith
1: this time. I did not have my buddy to eat at Wolfgang Pucks, have spaghetti and meatballs. Last
0: year, I was there without Katie because you were having Baby Uh cow. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so yeah, it's just weird.
1: I know. Well, I plan to go to this as long as they let me go because it is always like my favorite music
0: festival of the year. It's just it's just nonstop hits. It's just and it's also just chock a block full of like pop stars, rock stars, country people, R and B rap. It's just it runs the gamut. It really does. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um so I thought we'd kind of run down the biggest headlines that came out of the festival this weekend. Um the very first headline that came out was that Sam Smith did not go on as planned. Um I had gotten a peek at the schedule. Uh, before the night started on Friday, and uh, he was supposed to have performed before Childish Gambino. So I'm sitting in the crowd, and all of a sudden, Childish Gambino comes on. I'm a little confused. You're like, uh, is
0: Sam Smith going to come out and sing with Childish Gambino? Right. We
1: were just confused. We thought maybe it was just a schedule kind of like, you know, maybe, oh, Sam's going to come out next. But the next person that came out on stage after Childish was Ryan Seacrest to announce that Sam Smith would not be performing. Hmm. Um, he let us know that it was due to unforeseen circumstances and that Sam had rehearsed um, Friday afternoon for the show, so he was in Vegas planning to perform. Everything was cool, and then apparently, as he revealed Saturday in a tweet, he had vocal issues, and um, as anyone who follows Sam knows, he had vocal cord surgery previously, so he's particularly sensitive to any sort of vocal issues, and he reportedly made his way directly to Boston, where his vocal doctor is based. Because he has a huge Asian tour starting in like a week and a half and needs his voice, obviously. Wow. Kind of important. So um, we hope that Sam recovers and that it is not as serious as he might have thought that it could be on Friday. But we were bummed to miss him, of course. Hmm. Um, So on to some happier headlines from the weekend. Uh, Justin Timberlake opened Saturday night's show personal a personal save. favorite. Yeah. Um and did
0: like an eleven song set. Wait, okay. Was it like a lot of medleys and stuff? No. How long did Justin play for He was
1: on for an hour, I think. What, or n-
0: oh, nearly an hour. And he was he like the like was he like the headliner at the end or something? He was the very first performer. He opened the show. Yeah. Opens the show with eleven songs almost an hour long. That that is highly unusual. Exactly. Anyone I who Heart follows the show it's no.
1: Yeah. I mean even um well, for instance, Childish Gambino, who I mentioned, he had he played three songs. And, you know, when This Me- Is America is obviously the big, massive hit, was the Hot 100 number one, and he also did Redbone. And then he did Summertime was it summertime Magic. It wasn't Feels Like Summer. It was the
0: other summer. I mean, summertime I can, Magic. I can I see that as being like, you just do three songs.
1: But that's like, that's the base. Like, you can see this. Childish had three songs. Justin had 11.
0: How long did like you, like Katie and I were there the year that you 2 played it? Like, I remember you 2 played you a two lot of stuff. 2
1: did probably 10 songs, I think, But too. they were closer
0: to the end of the night. Yeah, Maybe and that Justin was did... one
1: of the meteor sets I remember from a previous year, too.
0: Wow, that's just weird that. He would just open up the show with, like, such a big...
1: I think they decided to let Justin do what Justin wanted yeah. to do. Make and...
0: a, it's like, make a statement, you want to open the show, Yeah. Whatever. No one's
1: complaining. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, I believe, third to last song of the night, yes, that's correct, of his, I should say, of his set, um, he made this big to-do about, I want to do something special for you guys tonight, uh, you know, this is one of the coolest cats I've ever met, young, talented guy, etc. And then proceeds to bring out Sean Mendez for um unexpectedly i guess i didn't know i thought at first that they might do say something and sean might kind of take over the chris Chris stapleton Stapleton role obviously justin and sean both play guitar so they could have kind of had that same vibe but he ended up doing what goes around comes around from Mm. future sex love sounds they did kind of a ultra slowed down version of it um you know almost like a little churchy it was an interesting vibe um but uh, the crowd, of course, went insane. Was Shawn
0: Mendes scheduled to play, I heard?
1: Yes, he played, I believe he was like the third or fourth of the night. So he came back out like an hour, almost exactly an hour later after he had uh, joined Justin and did a full set hmm.
0: of his own. Wow.
1: Um, and uh, if you go to billboard.com, you can watch their entire performance together. Uh, so that was definitely a highlight of the night. And, you know, so many of the fans were in the crowd for
0: Sean. And so they, like, really especially just lost it over Justin bringing him out. It's a nice uh sort of uh uh justin knows exactly what it's like to sort of be in sean mendes's shoes in a certain capacity totally
1: yeah yep um being the teen idol sort of but like also being ultra like uber talented and being able to back up the like you know handsome tall. teal teen idol guy i actually looked up their heights are they the same height he Justin looked a little taller, which surprised me because I thought of Sean as being taller. And according to the internet, Sean's which like as you know, I was going to say as you know, the internet heights are never correct. Sean's tall. They have them. They have Sean listed as six two and Justin listed as six one. But on stage, Justin appeared a little bit taller, which was just surprising. That's probably just boots. I'm guessing he was they're both six one or six two, probably. They're tall gentlemen. Tall, tall gentlemen, especially for Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, Kelly Clarkson uh, well, finally, performed... finally, until I
0: start grilling Katie about things that she hasn't talked about.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, Kelly Clarkson performed uh, on Saturday night, and uh, she actually did a tribute to Aretha Franklin by playing Respect. And she said on stage that it was the first time that she had sang Respect since she performed it on American Idol when she won the inaugural season.
0: 15, no, 16 years ago. Yeah, so
1: she... Um, uh, of course, killed it. When she started saying that she hadn't performed it since Idol, I was really kind of hoping for Natural, Natural Woman, Woman, which she murdered on Idol. I mean, she did such an incredible version of that song, but I'm not mad about Respect at all. It was it was amazing. And, um, you know, it was a little pre-festival drama between Kelly and the festival host, iHeartRadio, when uh, they tweeted something, they tweeted like a cute little tweet at her saying, iHeart Festival performer, check. Talk show host, check. Kelly Clarkson is doing it all. (laughs) To which Kelly responded, except for getting my songs played on your stations, I guess I'm cool enough to invite, but not cool enough to play my record. So she started a little drums with them. She also had some
0: (laughs) hashtags in there. Hashtag truth, hashtag check, hashtag see you Saturday, and then a long string of ha 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 ha's, (laughs) and then hashtag meaning of life, which is her current album. Her
1: 2017 album. And then she tweeted again the following day. Oh, really? All all right, iHeart, let's do this. I'm going to keep singing slash working my ass off, and you give Heat, which is her current single, a fair shot. That's all I'm asking. That's all any artist asks for. Mama's ready. Hashtag iHeartFestival. Hashtag let's do this. Hashtag partners. Hashtag music for the win. Hashtag
0: Kelly was like yelled at by someone.
1: Uh, She didn't say a thing about it on stage, but she did speak to Elvis Duran backstage, which I believe was on the live stream um, of the festival on Saturday night. And they kind of hashed it out. Elvis actually thanked her for starting a
0: dialogue. And uh, and it was very cordial. Let's start a dialogue about how this entire (laughs) festival is kind of like a weird corporate thing and that all of you come to play probably expecting something... To get a little
1: radio in return. From iHeartRadio,
0: which controls so many radio stations Uh, in America. But we're all friends now. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Hashtag partners. Hashtag start the conversation. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyways. Okay, come at me, bro. What what are are you grilling me about? Um, Fleetwood Mac opened Mm. night two? Night one. Night one. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is... Though they performed on Ellen, this is kind of like one of the first performances without Lindsey Buckingham with Neil Finn and Mike Campbell Campbell from the Heartbreakers. Mm -hmm. Of course, Neil Finn, of course, from Crowded Crowded House House. and also solo stuff. And Mike Campbell replacing Mm Lindsey, having sort of dueling guitars and doing backup or doing his vocals. Um, Did you see it? How was it?
1: Yes, I got to see the entire set. Um, It was delightful. Uh, I was really looking forward To hearing Dreams And they didn't play it But we got to see that When Stevie did her concert When we
0: went A few years back What did they sing What did what, How many songs did they do
1: um, They did I believe five songs Wow Yes, I could list them for you, actually. They started with The Chain. Oh,
0: that's such a weird thing to start with when there's no Lindsay there, because the whole point of The Chain is how The Chain doesn't break.
1: So that was kind of a... Chain! That was a bit of a live... um, That was kind of a a, um, showcase for Mike Campbell a bit um, on guitar. And then third song of the set was Secondhand News, which was an interesting choice. But uh, Neil took lead vocal on that, so I think they wanted to kind of give him a showcase. Yeah. And then uh, Christine took lead on Little Lies, which was the second song. Uh, Of course, Stevie took lead on Gold Dust Woman and was twirling and the crowd was really living for it. And then they ended with Don't Stop.
0: So weird. Mm hmm. Because I mean, mm-hmm. what you would expect them to do is to basically not do any songs where Lindsay is sort of the primary vocalist.
1: The chain is just so good. Like they have to do that. No, you don't. Oh, I really enjoyed. I, I like starting with that too, just because of that pounding intro. Oh, it was really good.
0: Yeah, well, I saw them on the tour of the last one, and it was all of them, and it made, made, made much more sense when it was sure. the five of them back together. Maybe they're making a weird statement by playing it. Well, <laughs> knowing knows? how Fleetwood Mac works, they'll probably all be back together in a couple years And they album.
1: barely kind of acknowledged that they had a new lineup. Uh, Christine from Behind the Piano said, How you doing over there, Neil?
0: that was literally it (laughs) yeah maybe it's more of a because their tour starts here in a couple weeks yeah so maybe they'll actually address it then or maybe they won't maybe they won't um i'm sure there's other stuff i could ask about but i was actually curious specifically about that yeah they were great it was it was good stuff all right cool uh
1: now it's time for our interview with emily warren the singer-songwriter is finally releasing her debut solo album after writing hit songs for the Chainsmokers, Dua Lipa, charlie xcx and more we talked with her about writing for herself versus writing songs for other artists the theme behind her Quiet Your Mind album, the inspiration behind the global hit New Rules, and why she thinks she has such a good working relationship with the Chainsmokers. And we talked about much, much more. It's, she's super fascinating and, and has had so much success at such a young age. So here's our interview with Emily Warren. Good time. Hello to Emily Warren and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Thank you. Hello. Thanks so much for coming in today. Of course. Um, It's an exciting time for you because we're talking a little over a week before your first, your debut album comes out. (laughs) Hell yeah. Quiet your mind. Um, So a lot of pop music fans are familiar with your features and your songwriting at this point, but
2: what does it mean to you to finally get this you know, personal project out there? Uh, It's crazy. I'm so excited and nervous and it's just, I think, I spent a few years on the writing side and I love it and I'll never stop doing it. But there's something that comes with taking everything to the finish line and doing the artwork and doing the videos and everything that's been really satisfying to dip into.
1: Yeah. I'm sure you're like doing things that you've like as a songwriter never gotten to like have a yeah. part in. So what, like, what has been the craziest part of that? Like being the the lead artist and taking charge on things?
2: Uh, well, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> you're learning. <laughs> you're like, yeah. I'm learning oh. a lot. <laughs> um, it's, we're also doing it without a label. So mm there's a lot of moving parts and our own made up deadlines that I'm doing I've been doing everything with friends and that's always interesting trying to be like okay you're going to send it now <laughs> um but yeah it's been really good it's it's taken a little longer than i thought it was going to but i think that's just cuz everything i wanted everything to be perfect and keep going through like all the levels but it's just it's so fun and daunting really to mm be the person that's making the call on what the video is going to be and if the art looks good and if the flyer looks good and just I don't know it's great it's I have a newfound appreciation for the whole the craft of it. Yeah. On
0: the flip side it's all on you if it all just goes. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like you're like, well, no, I mean I know that.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't mean it in like but
0: because because you're the you're the owner of everything. Right. Like it's you it's your baby, it's your project. You're making the calls on the video and what you know, what the vision of this looks like. So you know it's like, well, this is all on me. Like this is my vision. So it's it's like great in one way, but then also you're like, Ooh. (laughs) But I suppose it's like it's there's many ways i'm sure that you could look at this too like if you were with a label or like you were sort of like si- like signed to some entity that was making decisions for right. you though you have input there's always that well the label it was they believe their fault. it was their <laughs> fault they hired the director it wasn't <laughs> yeah. my decision for that totally. photo shoot it's
2: like well it like you can see it both ways no think, definitely you know? and then there's responsibility but i think ultimately if i'm happy with it i should be able to not care what ha- whatever happens with it cuz i'm happy with yeah. it yeah But it's definitely one thing that's been really interesting is I'm is trying not to compare my artist stuff with the pop stuff I do because it's in such a different world, like not only stylistically, but obviously with like radio push and label push and all this stuff and kind of just managing expectations and thinking, all right, this is my creative outlet. I don't need to hold it at the standard of whatever else but yeah it's, it's definitely been a learning experience
1: i have no doubt and actually we've gotten to hear a few songs from the album already including something to hold on to and hurt by you and paranoid mm-hmm. and um they all seem to be in a running theme of like holding on to a relationship yeah. maybe when you should let it go is that uh, kind of the theme of the album
2: very interesting that's a cool interpretation <laughs> there's a lot um a lot of different angles of relationship in this album and it's funny the timing of everything not to get too personal but my relationship is on the outs that I wrote mm. this whole album about so the timing is like very poetic and ridiculous but um it is a whole journey through this first like first real relationship I've had so mm. that's all in there mm. <laughs>
1: It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very personal, <laughs> right? I, yeah, I didn't. I'm not trying to have like a therapy session over well, here. I'm we sorry, right. well, you know, We had
0: this happen a few weeks ago. Was it wasn't a, it wasn't a therapy session though? But someone was saying like, "Oh, I wrote this song." What well, was BB Rexa. I'm not like revealing anything. Mm-hmm. But if we had BB Rexa on for the podcast, and we were asking her, well, what was? you know, how did this song come together? She's like, well, I just found out that my boyfriend like did X, Y, and Z. And then I had a writing session and <laughs> I didn't want to do it. And Justin Tranter was like, uh, force me to do it. <laughs> um, so how's it going? It sat me down on the sofa and he's like, yeah. mm-hmm, writing notes. You know, yeah. That sounds like, and then they wrote a song together and it ended up being very cathartic, I think in a way. Uh-huh. So, that's yeah. definitely the way. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's music. thing exactly. Music. Yeah. That's what it's for. Um, well,
0: um well so in the process of, of putting the album together, you know, how did you determine, you know, what songs were like the right fit for your own album? I'm assuming it was the songs that were more personal to you because mm-hmm. there's it's sort of a conceptual piece in sort of a way. Um, and what, you know, maybe ideas or songs that you wanted to save for other folks. Like were there were there songs where you're like, you know, maybe I should save this for like a pitch to someone else? Yeah. Like how do you how do you sort of reconcile yeah, how do you balance
2: that? that? It sort of happened the other way actually, which is I I started in a band and then I got into the writing and really put my own artist stuff way on the back burner. Um, and then over the course of three years, there was a handful of songs that people would be interested in cutting them, and I was like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want anyone else singing that. Not a lot, like, genuinely three songs, um, which wow. are all going on the album. Wow, just three. yeah i usually like i really i think it is two different modes that i go in. when i'm writing with other people i'm really asking them what's going on with them and it doesn't i don't get possessive really over the songs Mm. um and then after that after i decided i was going to do an album we set aside specific days for me to write for myself again so wouldn't never is really getting mixed or confused right um so yeah everything's been kind of there's a few songs that I wrote kind of for myself that ended up feeling not right which we're now pitching out to other people but um, yeah, it's pretty Again, because it's personal Like you said it, it, is, it ends up being pretty separate
0: When you wrote the songs that Where you set aside time For yourself to write songs Were they just things That you just sort of wrote By yourself? Or did you collaborate With other folks On those songs?
2: Uh, I collaborated With other people On all the songs, actually All people that I write For other people with
0: um, One of your most frequent collaborators Is the Chainsmokers mm-hmm. um, And you have another hit With them right now um, Called Side Effects um, which is already top fifteen on our pop songs airplay charts, and here it on top forty radio stations all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it debuts on our dance club songs chart this week as well, which oh is, God. I think your first song to chart on our dance club songs chart as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um, so h- tell us about the making of this song. I know it's part of sort of like a kind of like a in a way, like a concept album for the Chainsmokers. Mm-hmm. like it's a, they have like this really kind of like big vision for this album. Mm-hmm. um talk about how the song came together and like what sort of the vision was for this track
2: um so the first few songs on this album sick boy album is uh were very kind of introspective and dark and we wrote them i wrote them with them while we were all on tour together last spring um and they were going through a lot of stuff with a lot of like criticism and fan stuff and everything and when summer came around, I remember I was on the phone with Drew and I was like, I wonder if, and we were both talking about this, uh, and we we're saying, I wonder if it's better to write uplifting things to make yourself feel better instead hmm. of kind of documenting the sadness. There's definitely a time and a place for that. And that's therapeutic and everything. But especially as I don't know, given the state of things in the world, it always does feel better after you've like cried to the sad song to then listen to something that's a little bit more uplifting. hmm. So we had that kind of in mind for a while. This song I wrote with these two guys, Corey Sanders and Sly Silverstein. We started it in a camp in Copenhagen, and we just were having a really fun day, just messing around. The song came together pretty quickly. And honestly, I never would have thought to send it to the Chainsmokers because we were on such a different wave at that point. Right. Corey's manager sent it over to them and I woke up to like all these missed calls and text messages being like, we need this song and we're keeping you on it. And I was like, ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was the quickest ever turnaround of writing a song and having it come out. And wow. uh, it's been awesome being featured on it just because it's awesome hanging out with them and performing with them. And it's different for me and different for them. And it's just been, it's watching it do its thing. It's been amazing. And it yeah.
1: feels like the timing is just right, too. Like you having your yeah. uh, project coming out at the same time that your name is on this, this track that's right. doing so well. So it's kind of.
2: It's a perfect coincidence. You totally, you totally planned this.
0: this yeah, was all exactly. Part, <laughs> this is all part of your master plan of the rollout exactly. of the album. <laughs> <laughs> i knew it's all your before idea before we wrote side right, effects exactly. i knew. yeah you knew you knew exactly when this was all going to be timed just like hit and impact at the same
1: time um i was going to say i really especially love the sort of like spoken word part in the oh, in side effects you. it's so fun it's um it made me think of um pet shop boys west yeah. end girls like Sick. how did that how did that um happen like because it, it felt like it is that something that you've had in other songs or is that kind of the first time you did a uh, little bit of a tiny rap rap thing yeah
2: I haven't rapped in a while. Noted rapper. <laughs> uh, Noted rapper <laughs> Um Yeah, just kind of at the end of the session, I think Corey was like, we should do a rap part, and then we just...
0: And you're like, sure? Or yeah. you're like, ooh, I don't know?
2: I definitely was hesitant, but down to get outside the comfort zone. Yeah, it came out so cool. Oh, thank you.
0: Um, you know, in addition to, you know, side effects, you've obviously, like, worked with the Chainsmokers a lot. Um, including Don't Let Me Down, which Mm -hmm. you co-wrote, and Paris. Um, You know, what is it about working with them that just seems to click? Because it's not just those three songs. Like, you've written lots of songs with Mm -hmm. them. Um, What is it about the chemistry that you guys have?
2: Um, There's a few things. I think, first of all, um, they're rare in the sense that... I think there's a few artists that do this, but a lot of times when artists get success with someone or like get a relationship with someone, they then like move on to different people as soon as that song blows up. Mm -hmm. Um, And Drew and Alex have very, I'm very grateful for this, but have kept me really close and like I've toured with them obviously. And they keep me singing on stuff. Um, And through that, we've just really become friends, really close friends so that when we sit down to write, we're not I'm not introducing myself and they're introducing themselves and we're starting from scratch and trying to come up with something which is so helpful in the creative process I think now when we write it's just like okay what's been happening with you since I last saw you and what's on your mind um and it's just a really it's just a really good way to work I think every time I've been able to do that with an artist we get to be a little bit more creative and try things, just because everyone's a little bit more comfortable.
1: Another big hit that you co wrote is Dua Lipa's "New Rules." Um, what has it been like to see the kind of global response to that song and people basically, you know, singing your guidebook for how to deal <laughs> with bad bad guys? Basically, yeah.
2: Ugh, I literally, I that song just has a total life of its own in such an amazing way. We wrote it, and it and it was one of those things where you write. I don't know, you write a song every day, so some of them you just... If people don't come in and say, oh, this is amazing, you forget about it for a little bit, and that happened with that song for a couple months, and then I remember getting a text that Dua's album was closing and they were cutting it was going to be the next single. And then even from there, it was like a year building on radio. Yeah. And it's still getting like a crazy amount of radio play.
0: No, the song, wasn't wasn't that the song that we... It, it, it set the record for the most weeks ever spent on our pop songs. Airplay, Airplay chart. chart. Like That's it, the, a joke. It, it. No, <laughs> yeah. it, it, was <laughs> That's on, it was on the chart for basically a year and it beat a record set by, set by Edwin McCain's... I'll Be. I'll Be. Yep. Like like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's insane. and Because it, it just continued like... It, it, as you said, it just continued to build forever. Yeah. yeah, and you can still hear it now on the radio. Yeah, like it's just you're you're going to buy a house and like retire <laughs> on that of, new like, rules off, money. off of like the new rules money. We're not going to get into money, but yeah, it's just it's just and that was like the one song that Dua did that you wrote. Like you wrote it with one other person, and then the producer also co wrote mm-hmm. it. But it's just the three of you came up with this amazing idea, and it just caught fire. Oh, Thank yeah. you.
2: It really also of all the songs to be doing that, I'm really happy it's that one just because. It's – there's – I always tell this story. When I first moved to L.A., I was told to never write a song in which the guy wasn't going to get it. (laughs) Uh, Times have changed. Yes. Yeah. But that song was was definitely not that. And also, we wrote it because Caroline, who I wrote it with, was going through that sort of thing. And we were like, let's just write a song that makes you not do that again if you (laughs) listen to it. And that's – I mean, I've gotten so many amazing, crazy – DMs and messages from people being like, "I finally stopped speaking to this person because I listened to New Rules enough times." And that's like the most you can hope for as a songwriter. I think that it's actually had some sort of an impact and is helping people. I mean, that's that's the dream. That's awesome. That's it's a,
1: yeah, pop song with a with a purpose. Yep, yeah,
0: a, a purposeful pop <laughs> that works as a hit and actually, yeah, just it's every such a good song. Yeah. Wow,
2: thank you so much.
0: Um, well. You also wrote and I was just I was wondering this cuz we had Sean we have talked to Dua Lipa on this podcast. We
1: talked before. to Sean Paul and Dua Lipa in the same week separately. <laughs> we, yeah, oh, we did. Yeah. yeah, like uh, but a year and a half ago. I it was remember a yeah. long time those. ago. Yeah, yeah, it was like
0: it was before Dua's album had come out. It was just when she was like sort of, like she was just starting out in America, but mm-hmm. Sean Paul at that point had No Lie mm-hmm. featuring Dua um and which you co-wrote. Mm-hmm. Um so was that sort of what led to new rules in a way like was it like you like was was new rules like presented to Dua's team and it was like oh you know Emily wrote this track that you know did Sean or (laughs) like was that the through line or not at all
2: sort of I've actually known Dua for years um my friend Gabs who used to work with her introduced me to her like years and years ago when I was in London um we've done a few sessions together so I think there was part of that connection but there was also like a million songs that I pitched to her that I wrote that like obviously didn't didn't go through. So but that was yeah. The no lie thing is awesome. That's just I love Sean Paul. I love that whole situation. So yeah, that's yeah, kind
1: of got to be crazy. Like growing up with like oh. Sean Paul and then he cuts one of your songs. That's this, nuts.
2: I also I did a writing camp with him a, a couple years ago and I remember I got an email asking, did I want to cancel all my sessions and do a week with Sean Paul? And I was like, yes. he's he's the best and he's so fun to work with he's got like a completely different style of working which is him freestyling in the booth over and over and over again until he gets every word right which is amazing oh my goodness and that's what he did on No Lie like he'll literally he could get to the end of the song and decide he doesn't like that and then start from the beginning (laughs) just do it all (laughs) again just do it all again that's wild see that's that's
0: where your rapping skills (laughs) that's where it came (laughs) back to yes thank you Um, is that how it works like when you're because you've worked with a lot of you've 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 written songs for a lot of folks you know from sean mendez and five sauce to golly i don't know jesse j J, J, noah cyrus uh, friendship Mm. um is do they all do all those songs kind of come from like writing camp situations or is it like sort of appointments in a studio that you set up like hey i'll go sit with noah and we'll see if we can vibe together and or is it just sort of situational, depending on you yeah know, who it is?
2: Pretty situational. My preference is to be in the room with the artist, just because, mm-hmm. just because of what you were saying before about the therapy. Like I really do like to ask people what's going on with them and turn that into the song, because that's always been the best outcome. Um, but yeah, it really just depends. Some artists don't don't write and just take from cams, which is awesome too. Um, but yeah, just artist to artist depends. Do you have an especially fun
1: story of like getting in a room with somebody that was unexpected? I mean, we just listed off like a, a, million a laundry people. list of people that you worked with, but any particularly fun stories like working with artists?
2: Oh God. So many. So many fun <laughs> stories. Where did it? No, okay, honestly, tell us the one
0: where it went really bad. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, right. That's the one she doesn't want to tell us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. So I had this aborted writing session with Madonna. <laughs> <She was terrible>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just reference Madonna every so often. Yeah. You have to. <laughs>
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I. I always. I mean, the Sean Paul one was always crazy, just because that whole experience was nuts. Although one time, this is and this is like my entire childhood. But I had a session with akon wow and i went out into the hallway and sean paul was there and i was just like i'm at a bat mitzvah right now (laughs) (laughs) it is the year 2000 and i'm (laughs) at a bat mitzvah (laughs) i'm 13 (laughs) that's awesome that's so funny
0: and now you get to work with these people yeah yeah and and that's
2: that's crazy
0: do you just sort of like walk through your days, like just sort of pinching yourself? Are you still <laughs> are you still in that mode right now? Yeah,
2: definitely. I used to cry before sessions, and my publisher was literally called me and was like, "Emily, like you can't go <laughs> into a session with Poor Sean Paul bad, crying. I mean. You gotta <laughs> stop doing that." So I've collected myself, but I'm definitely always—it's ridiculous—and and hearing things I've written on the radio or in the street mm. or whatever is completely like that will never—I'll never get used to that.
1: Do you have any wish list artists?
2: Yes, Rihanna.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. Ugh.
2: <laughs> I am just really and I've been saying I say it in every interview so I know you hear she's me out there,
1: there. Just, I feel like she would love new Rules, so I feel yeah. like she's like who did new Rules?" like we need to get in a room with her for sure like when I, when I when
0: I mean the first time I heard new Rules, I was just like this has like sort of a Rihanna like island-y no the,
1: for sure like you could hear a Rihanna version of that song wow. big time but, what, this, but whatever thank you do with Rihanna <laughs> will be totally new and different
0: yes, fabulous exactly. and amazing so clear and you you probably are working with Rihanna you just can't tell us
2: <laughs> that's what you're saying I wish you know? I wish that would
0: true. You must know someone who can text her. Right, got to yeah. be someone in your camp
2: somewhere. I don't know. I got to be more aggressive about it. I think.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's like a subtle way. It's like, how do you even get to Rihanna?
2: I'm, I'm, it's very intimidating, though. You know, can you because imagine every. Also, every album she puts out is like not what you think she's going to oh. do at oh, yeah. all. Totally. Different, yeah. So I don't even know if I can get on that level, but I'm down to try. It's like, come on, we have faith in you. There's so much hype now around this too. My Rihanna <laughs> session.
0: Right. Uh, by the time this... Got, between now and the next week, you know, maybe you've had a session. Exactly. We're putting an ad there. We're just wishing to do
1: You mentioned uh, going on tour with the Chainsmokers. <laughs> do you have any plans to tour with the new album at all?
2: Um, I don't think they have a tour planned yet. Hopefully, if they do, I will weasel my oh, way oh not on it? chain smokers but on oh on my for own you, stuff. yeah remember this, is, remember this is you. this is you <laughs> i tour. thought this was a chain smokers podcast <laughs> what's yeah. a chain fan show <laughs> yeah. um i'm doing two shows right now um one in new york one in la la is on november 5th new york is november 7th um and that's all we have planned right now but they're the first headline shows i've done by myself oh like my pretty God. much ever. Where are you playing
1: in LA. The Moroccan. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you been there? Yes. Okay. It's Everyone incredible. seems to love it. I've yeah. never been. So I'm that's very awesome. Excited. Um and have you already been like rehearsing? And, yeah. Yeah. Full band. Oh. Amazing. It's been really fun. I'm so excited! <laughs> That's so cool. Hell yeah! Yeah, what is going to be different? Like, I mean, you don't know yet, but what do you feel like it's going to be different? Like, you know, being the the headliner of the show and the the whole crowd's there yeah. for you.
2: Completely different worlds. I mean, the tour was amazing, but I was coming out and doing like a couple of songs, and I think now having to carry the whole show and knowing that is going to be sick. And again, like knowing that people are there for my music is going to be amazing. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, we have taken far Way too, much, too of much of your time. time. I don't know. But
1: thank you so much for coming in and good luck with the new album. Thank and uh, we're so happy to have you.
2: Thank you so much. Yes.
1: Thank you so much to Emily for stopping by and we are really glad that she didn't listen to that songwriting advice when she first got into the biz. That's, <laughs> that's so bizarre. That's so crazy.
0: And so wrong. Um, but it's so fitting that she had so much success with that song. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's time for the Charts stat of the Week. I got a
2: brand new attitude and I'm gonna wear it tonight.
0: Uh, this is a long one, so buckle buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> uh, ten years ago this week, Pink topped the Billboard Hot 100 with "So What." The track jumped to the top of the list in its fourth week on the tally, September 27th, 2008, and spent one week at number one. Now the song gave the singer songwriter her second leader, but it was her first where she was totally solo. Her previous number one was her co-build cover of "Lady Marmalade," alongside Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, and Maya. For the Moulin Rouge soundtrack back in two thousand one, I believe so. That sounds right. That sounds right. Well, tell us if we're wrong. <laughs> um, so, what actually came at a turning point of sorts in Pink's career? She busted out of the gate back in two thousand with her singles "There You Go" and "Most Girls" from her debut album "Can't Take Me Home." Now, the album did well, reaching number twenty six on the Billboard two hundred, which is you know not too shabby for a developing artist with their first album, and it set it up. It set up her sophomore set uh, 2001's "Misunderstood." Uh, And there was no sophomore slump there as the album reached the top 10 on the Billboard 200 and spun off four top 20 Hot 100 hits, including a trio of top 10s, including Get the Party Started. But then things sort of hit a weird patch with her third album, 2003's Try This. While the album debuted in the top 10 on the Billboard 200, it only launched one Hot 100 hit, just one. Trouble, which peaked at a rather lowly number 68. Her next album, 2006's I'm Not Dead, (laughs) Debuted in the top <laughs> Yeah, you can you can kind of see it was probably winking at the facts mm-hmm. like, No, I'm not dead. Uh, debuted in the top ten, but had fallen out of the top one hundred only two months later. The set's lead single, Stupid Girls, had an eye-catching video, but the song quickly peaked at number thirteen on the Hot One Hundred and had a very short shelf life. However, it was I'm not dead's slow burning hit, You and Your Hand, that resuscitated the album. The track debuted on the Hot 100 in January of 2007, peaking at number 9 in May, and it helped bring her I'm Not Dead album back to the top 40. Another hit from the album, the ballad Who Knew, continued the success, reaching the top 10 on the Hot 100. I love that song so much. Who knew? Then came the 2008 album Funhouse, and she was in full-on comeback mode. The album's first single, So What, debuted at number 9 on the Hot 100, marking Pink's first top 10 debut, and it sailed to number one just a few weeks later. The album debuted and peaked at number two on the Billboard 200, her then-highest-charting album yet, and launched four more hits on the Hot 100, including Sober and Please Don't Leave Me. And the album also includes a song you probably know, Glitter in the Air which she memorably performed at the 2010 Grammy Awards while flying through the air wet and getting everyone below her kind of, you know... Soggy. A little bit soggy. <laughs> I was actually inside the arena mm. at Staples Center, and I saw that with my own eyes, and it was freaking amazing. Yeah, I
1: can't imagine seeing that live for the first time. Like, that. that's insane. It
0: was just... You just... You knew it was, like, the performance. Mm. And I think... I mean, I think that she would probably agree and say that her career... Changed, sort of instantly after that.
1: Keith, I'm very impressed with this like Pink uh, career retrospective. I feel like it really puts into perspective like her entire ebb and flow. Pink is really great, indeed.
0: i Pink, if you ever want to be on the pop shop,
1: yeah, anytime. We'll
0: call it the Pink Shop. Uh, so there you have it. Ten years ago this week, Pink's "So What" hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. So, so what? Okie doke, we are at the end of our show. Um, any parting words? Hmm. Just trying to think about what song to play. Um, well, it can be a Pink Song, an Emily Warren track that she wrote, um, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. one of your favorite Justin Timberlake tracks oh, well. that he's singing. That could be anything. Um, I don't know. You, Actually,
1: he started his set with Filthy from his most recent album, Man of the Woods, and I love that song, and it was very fun to see it live because I haven't been to the tour yet, so oh, Filthy. Okay,
2: bye. Bye. Baby, don't you mind if I do it? Exactly what you like, times two, yeah.